0: Central Illinois hunkers down for winter weather. Illinois State University receives a $3 million donation. More on these stories. I'm Sierra Henry. I'm Kelsey Watsonauer, And this is Lee Enterprises Long Story Short. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of Long Story Short, where we recap Central Illinois news from Lee Enterprises journalists. First, we want to congratulate our Herald and Review staff as they get settled into their new building. The team moved from the 601 East Williams Street to the 225 South Main Street in Decatur. The newspaper will occupy the second and third floors of the new building. The VUEG real estate business that was housing the space is actually swapping with the Herald and Review and will be moving into the 601 East William Street building. This is the second time that the Herald and Review has moved, but it has been located at the 601 East Williams Street space since 1976. Prior to that, it was on the corner of North and Main Streets Indicator, for 81 years. Editors and reporters of the Herald and Review recounted their favorite memories of the former building. So if you want to hear some amazing stories from over the years, find their columns at herald-review.com. And before we get into local government news, Kelsey and I are going to pretend that we are meteorologists and give y'all a full rundown on the latest weather report. So to start, central Illinois residents most likely woke up with a light blanket of snow this morning after a cold front swept through the region. Snow showers and flurries continued into this afternoon, but meteorologists told me that skies would be clear by this evening. Speaking of this evening, if you're planning on leaving the house, don't. (laughs) Just kidding. But for real, if you do, at least grab some extra winter weather gear because it's going to be cold, 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 cold. Bloomington, Mattoon, and Decatur will all hit single digits tonight, so stay close to a heater or a fireplace if you have one. And on that note, this week
1: I wrote a story about homelessness in Bloomington Normal. And frankly, some people don't have a heater or fireplace to warm up to, so they're uh, trying to get into the shelters that are facing limited capacity, especially with COVID outbreaks happening um, during these cold times. But they did say that, at least at the Salvation Army, they do have something they call the safety net, where they open up their lobby during the cold, cold winter nights. Um, so people can warm up, stay there, camp out overnight as long as you need to. Homestead Home Ministries Home also has facing capacity issues, but that's mostly just because the beds are full. People are taking advantage of those resources, staying in the shelter when they can. So uh, turnover has been kind of slow there, but they do, uh, they do help by giving out sack lunches and- and whatever cold weather, weather gear they might have on hand for um, as far as like blankets, hats, gloves, scarves, all those things Sierra mentioned that you're definitely going to want to wear if you're going out into the elements. McLean County also has several warming centers. Really every county has warming centers. So you just have to know where to look. So we have more information about ours at panograph.com. So if you want to read more about how the homeless shelters are working on this issue and trying to help people be safe during the cold cold winter nights Uh, be sure to find my story at pantograph.com and now let's move into some local government news out of Bloomington related
0: to housing Sierra take it away Uh, Bloomington City Councilman Jamie Matthew on Monday brought forth an initiative that seeks to incentivize development in Bloomington's central neighborhoods The council approved in a 6-3 vote to charge the city's planning commission with conducting an analysis of what such a program could look like for future discussion. Matthew brought this initiative forward due to growing concerns of a housing shortage in the community, as well as lacking options in affordable housing, and that the city's resources would be spread too thin if the city continues its urban sprawl. He based his idea on the 2015 Bring It On Bloomington project, a comprehensive plan compiled by the McLean County Regional Planning Commission. Within that document, Matthew said that there were several neighborhoods within the city identified as regeneration or preservation areas. Regeneration refers to parts of the city that had fallen into disrepair and which would need significant work to revitalize, and preservation areas are those that were at risk of becoming regeneration neighborhoods. Uh, The housing programs would potentially incentivize developers to purchase or uh, look into options to building up these areas that were identified in the plan. Uh, To read more about the housing program and for more city council coverage, you can find my full story at pantograph.com. Kelsey's gonna tell us about supply chain issues and Central Illinois farms in our business and agriculture section. Kelsey, take it away.
1: As part of Central Illinois' farm focus section that went into print on Friday, we had a story from Brendan Denson about supply chain issues. And Like all areas of the economy, Central Illinois farmers are concerned with ongoing supply chain disruptions brought on by the pandemic and other issues, including China shutting down manufacturing facilities ahead of the Beijing Winter Olympics. Farmers are having issues finding equipment and supplies. Brendan Dennison spoke with a few farmers over the last few weeks about the disruptions to hear about how they're handling things. So if you're curious and you want to learn more, you can find his full story at Panagraph.com. As part of Farm Focus, we also have a story, I believe, about like automated tractors and a lot of cool stuff in the Farm Focus section. You can find those stories across our three sites, herald-review.com, jg-tc.com, and of course, Panagraph.com.
0: The Bloomington Normal Economic Development Council is launching a new community branding effort to capitalize on recent successes from Rivian and Ferrero. The initiative was announced during the organization's quarterly report, which included updates on unemployment in McLean County, which sits at a 3.3% unemployment rate, which is below the state's rate of 4.3%. In addition to announcing the effort, the EDC said that 286 building permits were filed in 2021, accounting for a total of $268.9 million in investments compared to the 172 filed in 2020. They actually didn't pass the amount of investments made in 2020 because the projects, that though there were fewer projects filed for 2020, they were actually more expensive, um, and those were mostly driven by Rivian expansions. If you want to know more about what's going on in the economic development in McLean County, you can find my full story at Panagraph.com. Now we have some updates on COVID, so... Kelsey's going to talk about the last two years and how local hospitals have handled
1: COVID. This week marked two years since COVID-19 was first detected in Illinois, so Connor Wood and I decided to take a look at what our local hospitals had to do to prepare for the virus two years ago, how they've been managing it through the pandemic, and how they're feeling right now. Doctors and nurses shared with us how they remember the lead-up to the first wave of the virus, that initial fear as it was coming and getting closer, and every day they are going to work terrified, honestly, and then that fear eventually kinda faded into fatigue as patients continue to flood into the hospitals for months and months on end with uh, little answers, but they did say that they learned a lot along the way. They've come through wave after wave after wave, and for a long time they kept saying we okay, we made it, okay we made it. But it's been going on now two years and I had one doctor tell me, no one says we made it anymore. it's like they don't want to jinx it um, because it has been going on so long and they are so exhausted by this and really uh, kind of frustrated in some ways by the numbers they keep seeing and all the difficulties they have to face going to work every day because um, this pandemic is still taking such a huge role in their lives. As so many people out in the outside of the healthcare system uh, want to act like they can all move on. Um, in the hospitals, they can't move on. People are still dying there. Their ICU beds are full. Their regular beds are full. And when the beds are full, that means they're full for your stroke. They're full for your car accident. They're full for your heart attack. So they're really doctors and nurses and the hospital staffs in general. They're overwhelmed. They're tired. And uh, yeah, it was kind of a heavy story to work on um, last week. But they also had shared a little bit of hope and... Uh, what it's been like to pull together as as a community within themselves and lean on each other and continue to push through. So I highly, highly recommend checking out our reporting on that as well as like the last two years of pandemic reporting really. But um, this really gave us an opportunity to take a moment, recognize how amazing our medical staffs are. And uh, so yeah, you can find Connor and my story at pantograph.com.
0: In kind of related news, Decatur businesses will soon be handing out free non-surgical N95 masks, including Kroger, Walgreens, CVS Pharmacy, and Walmart. Businesses in Bloomington Normal, as well as the Illinois State University, also have plans to distribute uh, the masks. Last week, President Joe Biden announced plans to provide 400 million masks to U.S. residents through pharmacies. Uh, The government's strategic national stockpile has more than 750 million of the highly protective masks to distribute. Uh, to learn more about where you can pick up a mask in the coming weeks, find our stories at heraldhydroenreview.com, jghypentc.com, and pantograph.com. There you can find what locations near you are handing out the free masks. Okay, Kelsey, tell me about NASA and Tri-Valley High School. <laughs> okay,
1: this is a cool story.
0: A Tri-Valley High School teacher was recently
1: accepted into NASA IPAC Teacher Archive Research Program, which aims to give high school teachers a chance to work with researchers at National Astronomy Labs on a project using data collected by telescopes. The teacher, Jeff Benter, hopes the program with help, will help with his own teaching. As part of the project, Benter will work with a researcher at, Na- at NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab at Caltech, and the program emphasizes doing their own research, not working through pre- prepared lab projects or doing, or like redoing prior research projects. So it's run through this Spitzer-Song Science Center and NASA's Infrared Processing and Analysis Center. This is a really cool story that Connor would get to work on this week. So if you want to read more about that uh, and all about Jeff's projects, you can find his story
0: at Panagraph.com. Sarah Bush Lincoln, Healthy Community Staff and Riddle Elementary School in Mattoon kicked off the Healthy Heroes Challenge earlier this month. Healthy Heroes challenges local elementary schools to rack up miles by walking or running. Each month, students log how many miles they walk or run. And this year, Riddle Elementary School has been challenged to reach 27,280 miles from January to April. That is a lot. (laughs) If students reach their goal, Riddle Elementary School will receive a traverse rock climbing wall for its gymnasium, which is sponsored by Women Connected, a women's giving circle within the Sarah Bush Lincoln Health Foundation. To read more about the program, you can find Clint Walker's story at jg-tc.com. Some exciting news for Illinois State University again this week, uh, but in the sports department. So, Kelsey, tell me about this huge donation that the university received.
1: Illinois State University received a $3 million donation for its indoor practice facility, pushing the contributions toward the project past the total... 11.5 11.5 million needed to complete construction the donation was given by entrepreneur d miller and his wife sheila marshall miller and former illinois state student athlete and professional football player bj Bello. C- construction on the facility is expected to begin this spring with completion ahead of the fall 2022 semester the, the indoor practice facility will be a heated quality opaque dual membrane fabric air dome with insulation pockets for planned year-round use Wow, that's so high-tech. Uh, the facility will be built in the location of the current football practice field directly north of Horton Fieldhouse. A 100-yard practice football field will feature a single end zone with runoff areas and artificial turf to match the current surface at Hancock Stadium. The facility will be open to all Redbird teams, and when construction is complete, will ease congestion for ISU teams currently using Horton Fieldhouse as an indoor practice area. To read more, you can find Randy Reinhardt's full story at pantograph.com, as well as uh, some background information, as this project has been in the works for a long time. It's exciting they finally got the last bit of
0: donation, last li- bit of funding. St. Teresa High School Indicator has launched a fundraising campaign to raise $4.25 million for a new all-weather, eight-lane track and turf football field. The facility will be able to host a variety of activities, including soccer, football, track, cross-country, and daily PE, pla- and daily PE classes. It will also allow the school to host major track meets on its campus. The school is currently without out of track, forcing the Bulldogs to work out at parks across the city. So far, the campaign has raised $2.7 million for the project. To learn more about how to donate or the proposed facility, find, my, find Matt Flatten's story at herald This week, Matt also wrote a nice profile on Eastern
1: Illinois University's new head football coach, Chris Wilkerson. Wilkerson is a former EIU football star playing for the team from 1991 to 94. He joined Bob Spoo's coaching staff after graduating in 95 and has worked to follow in Spoo's footsteps to eventually take over the head leadership role. Wilkerson has coached nine seasons with the University of Chicago and will be taking on EIU from Adam Cushing, who stepped down as head coach after three seasons on January 11th. Cushing had a career 3-26 record in that time, including a 1-10 record in 2021. To read more about Wilkerson, his career, and the future of EIU football, you can find Matt's full story at jg-tc.com. Alright, now let's
0: move into some public safety news. A shooting in Bloomington Monday night resulted in the death of 29-year-old Timothy Manns. The Bloomington man was shot in the 600 block of West Jefferson Street and officers called to the scene found him inside an apartment building with gunshot wounds. No one has been arrested in connection to the shooting and Bloomington police are still investigating. Man's death marks Bloomington Normal's first homicide of 2022 and Bloomington's fourth reported shooting. Kate Heather has the full story at Panagraph.com and will continue to update as more information becomes available. Last Friday, Amari McNabb, a 23-year-old from the Chicago suburb
1: of Country Club Hills, became the third Bloomington man sentenced in the shooting death of 25-year-old Juan Nash. McNabb was sentenced to 28 years in prison for his role in Nash's death, which occurred after a shootout on Orchard Road in April of 2019. Bloomington... Bloomington police recovered 20 shell casings from three different guns at that scene, and three people were struck by gunfire. Scotty Allen, now 21, was injured in the shootout and later became the first defendant in this case to go to trial. He was found guilty in June 2022 of murder, aggravated discharge of a firearm, and mob action, and was sentenced to 50 years in prison. Prosecutors believe he fired the final shot. Exodus Hebert, also 21, pleaded guilty to murder charges and was given 20 years. He was not believed to have fired any shots and was a passenger in the getaway car that night. A McLean County jury found McNabb guilty last summer of murder and mob action, but acquitted him on one count of aggravated discharge of a firearm. Prosecutors argued he played an active role in the shooting. Kate Heather was in the courtroom for the sentencing and has the full story. If you want to hear more on this case, we've been following it since the night it happened, so you can find all of our coverage at Panograph.com.
0: This week, Tony Reid sat down with Macon County's first female chief public defender in the 72-year history of the office. Uh, Michelle Sanders, 40, is embracing her role as the chief public defender nearly a year after she was appointed to the position. In her interview with Tony, Sanders said she won her first case when she was just 13, convincing her father of why he should allow her to adopt a pet cat. Obviously, Sanders won the case, adopting her furry feline friend, Snowball, who lived a 13-year good life before passing away. Sanders joined the Public Defender's Office after completing law school in 2007. She left in 2013 to clerk for Justice Lisa Holder White on the Illinois Appellate Court, 4th District. But Sanders eventually wanted to return and was back in the Public Defender's Office in 2018. She was an assistant to then-Chief David Ellison before being appointed to the top job. To read more about Sanders and her career in law, find Tony's full story at herald And now we're going to talk about some community news, some lighter news, Uh, Kelsey's gonna talk about art. (laughs) Kelsey. I love art. (laughs) Three
1: local artists will be featured at the Decatur Area Arts Council's Anne Lloyd Gallery in February in an exhibit that the gallery coordinator, Jamie Foley describes as a sort of love letter to our community. The exhibit, titled Three Paint Decatur, will highlight artists Lucy Brownlee, Barbara Dove, and Stephen Gardner. The work featured will be primarily landscape pieces, but will also include some architectural paintings and some, quote, whimsical interpretations. Each with very different styles, the artist's work will focus on various highlights of the city and will be available for, for sale at the Ann Lloyd Gallery. The monthly First Friday Gallery Walk reception will have extended hours until 7 p.m. on February 4th. And the artist will be available beginning at 6 p.m. to receive guests and say a few words about their remarks. To to read more about the artist, be sure to find Donna Beckett's story at herald And be sure
0: to check out the gallery walk next week. So that's going to do it for us today, folks. As always, if you're enjoying this podcast and our reporting, check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. While you're at it, head on over to panagraph.com, herald-review.com, and jg-tc.com to look up subscription information and consider supporting hashtag local journalism.